everyone, and welcome to the CMEC podcast on the ground in Lebanon. I'm Paula Naufal, and this year, I hope to be presenting a number of podcasts in which I'll be interviewing a variety of people, hopefully to give an insight into the state of our troubled country. Lebanon has suffered a series of crises in recent years, from the huge influx of refugees to the more recent explosion in Beirut's port, as well as the deepening economic crisis. And so, as a result of these tragedies, more and more of Lebanon's young people are immigrating either to pursue their education abroad or simply to find work. But of course, many young people cannot leave for, for a host of reasons and feel increasingly stuck in a country that appears to have a bleak future. So, to discuss more thoroughly the youth of Lebanon, I am joined by two students, Linim Nainme and Widad Talib. Hello. If I can start with you, please, Widad, please tell us all about yourself. First of all, thank you for having me on this podcast. My name is Widat Talib. I'm an economics senior student here in Lebanon. I'm also a social and political activist. I'm 22 years old. I have a lot of interest in politics. And I was very integrated in the October 17 revolution. I was very active in that. And yeah, I currently live in the north in Tripoli. But I do go back and forth to Beirut a lot when I have work and when I have stuff to do there. Sometimes I tend to live there alone for for like a while and then come back to my parents' place in Tripoli. But yeah, I do live with my parents um, in the north. And yeah. Thanks for that, Widad. And now over to you, Lean. Paula, thank you for having us tonight. Uh, First of all, I'm a law student, fourth year. I am also the co-founder of the independent media outlet on social media available on Instagram, The Lawyard. Also, I'm a political activist and interested in global economics and geopolitics. So that's pretty much it. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Idad. So I wanted to delve more into the topic and ask you too, what does it feel like for you to be in Lebanon today, given the situation that there's no money going out of the bank. So as we know, there's an unofficial capital control on Lebanese citizens where they cannot take dollars out of the bank. Also, there's a limit on the Lebanese the local currency. Uh, there's constant power cuts. There's daily frustrations. There's COVID. There's an economic crisis. So could you tell us with all of these taken into consideration, how does it feel like to be living in Lebanon today? And if we could start with you, that, please. I don't know where to start (laughs) to explain how difficult it is living in Lebanon. Basically, the way we live is extremely hard to describe and it's extremely difficult, the conditions that we live in, given that, as you mentioned, we can't withdraw our money from the banks. We're going through a hyperinflation right now and a very, very deep economic recession. The situation is horrible, especially the, the past Five, I get five to six months, it has gotten worse than before because of how fast the economy is downward spiraling. It's very hard. Like we witness so many things. We witness so much violence. We witness so much poverty. We witness just so much difficult situations that the Lebanese population that they have to go through, we had we have to like witness it and go through it, especially in our like what we do as activists, like we fight for the change, we try to like come up with the solutions, we try to help people, we try to like uh, be there for everyone. So it's very difficult, the situation right now. Um, I, I don't know like how to really explain it. It's kind of hard to comprehend when you're not here, when you're not actually living in the situation. Everything is extremely expensive and the currency has like no longer has the same value it used to have prior to the financial collapse uh, of the currency. 
So people, like their, their salaries, for example, no longer equate to anything when it comes to the Lebanese pound. They can barely sustain themselves until the middle of the month, let alone to the end of the month. So you can only like imagine how, how difficult it is to live here. So I want to talk to you guys about what happened on October 17th, 2019. First, Yulin, can you tell us what happened on that day and why it happened and what has been achieved? On October 17th, I remember very well, it was a Thursday in 2019. The government that was headed by Prime Minister Saad al-Hariri actually decided to impose a new tax and it was regarding WhatsApp. So it was known as the WhatsApp tax. WhatsApp is obviously a free service that 99% of the Lebanese people rely on to communicate freely without any charge. So basically, it wasn't only that tax. The The government was expected to actually impose around 25 to 30 new taxes. So small groups decided to gather in downtown Beirut next to the Grand Serai where the government actually is or where the meetings of the government usually happen. So it was an anti-government protest. It started out with around 15 people. Then a minister, actually, the Minister of Education, Akram Shahib, happened to be passing by the area there. So protesters followed his cars and his bodyguards ended up shooting at protesters. And this mainly triggered thousands to go down the streets that day. And this is how it started. It started out with 15 people, then the number increased to around 100, a couple of hundred, until it reached around thousands. And then people gathered the second day, the third day, and for like weeks, they protested against the whole Lebanese state. The government actually ended up resigning around 13 days later. And this is basically the first phase of what we call the revolution. Later on, Lebanon started going into an economic crisis, which was already happening, but it got worse and worse. Until in December, they appointed former Prime Minister Hassan Diab. Basically, the causes of the Lebanese revolution is that simply Lebanese people were tired. They were tired of a system that were killing them, that was killing them every day. A system that deprived them, a system that starved thousands, a system that isn't fair. You know, Lebanese people deserve better than this. We are ruled by politicians who've been there for around 40 years. Most of them are warlords. They participated in Lebanon's civil war. They killed thousands, and yet they still are killing people indirectly by these policies you know, we've had the same Speaker of the Parliament for the last 30 years. He's been there since 1990. And I think he's going to be there for more 10 years if we don't really act. We need to act because at this point in three months, Lebanon's economic system will be collapsing totally. Widad, how did you see the October 2019 revolution unfold? I'd like to add to what Lean was saying about the economic crisis. It was triggered by the tax uh, that was put on the WhatsApp. It made people just say that we, we can't handle this anymore. We need to go down to the streets. We need to protest. 
But the economic crisis actually started way before the October Revolution. It started somewhere maybe three to four years before that. It's when a lot of analysts, a lot of people said that there was some sort of Ponzi scheme that was being run by the Central Bank of Lebanon, which aimed to borrow money from commercial banks at above market interest rates to pay back debts while still maintaining the Lebanese pound's fixed exchange rate with the U.S. dollar. Many people blamed the banks for what happened. Many people blamed the ruling class. Many people blamed the elite. The elite class who have dominated the politics in Lebanon for so long for this economic crisis. But the way it all unfolded was five years ago, or say something like that, maybe like five, maybe less, give or take, that's when the actual crisis started happening. It was when the central banks started imposing these very high interest rates on the banks. And that's when the economic analysts and political analysts started to say that there is an economic collapse that's coming. There's a a very, very bad phase that we are going to get into if we don't stop this. Uh, That's when we reach 2019. And that's why I believe people started to go down to the streets. It was their economic conditions that were extremely bad. They were just fed up with the system. They were fed up with the lies. They were fed up with the corruption. They were fed up with the sectarianism. They were fed up with just the whole, the confessional system that we have in this country. And I believe that's the main reason why people took the streets. They just wanted to eradicate this confessional system and to start building and growing a new system that's secular, that's far away from anything that's related to sectarianism. Because as you know, the political parties in Lebanon, each of them, they follow like a different kind of religious rhetoric. So one party is for the Sudanese, one party is for the Catholics, and the other is for the Maronites. It's a mess. It's a sectarian mess here in Lebanon. So I believe that people were fed up of that. So basically, like when we see that all of our, let's say me and Lean, our group of friends, we don't even like ask of anyone's religion, like what what do you believe in or what your religion is or whatever. But there are so many people in in this country who still act and behave like this and they still discriminate against each other based on what they believe in or based on what their religious sect or identity is. And I believe that a relatively big amount of people in Lebanon are fed up with that kind of behavior. And that's why, especially because it's very intertwined in politics and it's how our system is based. So I believe that people were fed up with that. If you heard the chants, which I'm sure you did in the October 17 revolution, they all called for the eradication of sectarianism. They all called for the secular state and these kinds of things. What has happened to the revolution in the past 17 months? The protest started off with many thousands of people, perhaps as many as one million at some point. But now, nearly 18 months later, there are no protests. Why is that? Why the huge change, Lin? It began with thousands, maybe around a million, and now we barely see any people in the streets. You know, Paula, I'm going to tell you something. People not protesting at some point is actually also a message. It says a lot. It says that people are tired, people are exhausted, people lost hope. And, you know, at this point, I don't think a lot of people are willing to sacrifice to spend time in the streets. Back in October, the dollar rate was much better than it is right now. Back then, people had jobs. A lot of people were actually doing better on an economic level. Now, they cannot leave their jobs. They cannot do anything. They have to stay because 
there isn't any other option for some, for a lot, actually. This is on a social level. Also, on a political level, October 17th was something that wasn't planned. It happened just out of nowhere. It was sudden. However, later on, the revolution started taking a political path which means that it started becoming more of a political opposition. And a lot of people who went to the streets in the first two, three days were actually still belonging to political parties. And they see that the revolution is against their political party at some point, at this point, actually. They see that a political opposition might hurt their political party or their favorite politician. So they will leave. They will go back to where they come from, which is the political environment they belong to and they were raised in. So this is on a social and political level. Also, you have COVID. A lot of people are scared of COVID since our healthcare system isn't really that great. We might not find a bed. We might not be accepted at some hospital. So a lot of people aren't risking their lives anymore. And personally, I see that the youth now want to focus on political work. We should start preparing for the elections, whether it was at universities or the municipalities elections or the parliamentary elections. We should start working on a political path. And this is how basically we will change. Political change will give us whatever we're looking for or whatever we're aiming for. So this is why the numbers changed. And I think at this point, the protests won't really do anything if we do not have a political plan. I just wanted to say that I agree with everything that Lynn just said. And I'd like to add that because the majority of the people who were on the streets are of the youth of Lebanon, I believe that the police brutality and the way that they were dealing with us and just like all the arrests, all the invalid and unjust actions that were taking against us as protesters, be it the rubber bullets, be it the excessive tear gas, be it just the really extremely violent way that they were dealing with how we were demonstrating and how we were protesting. I think that kind of demotivated a lot of people and that kind of scared at least some people who I know, that's their excuse. They're like, uh, we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to lose our eye. We don't want to like die in the protest because that's how violent the right police were with the people. So I, I would just like to add that besides the coronavirus, the pandemic, just the whole economic situation that really demotivated people. Like people started to feel like they'd rather be working, trying to sustain themselves financially instead of protesting for something that they don't know if it would ever happen or they feel like maybe it's out of their reach. It's the geopolitics of the area it's something that's out of their control. I feel like people just lost a bit of momentum, but still want to go after ending the sectarian regime and ending the corruption that's so rooted in our system and just start like fighting for a better Lebanon, for a better country, for a better, uh, for better living conditions. I just feel like people got tired, they got demotivated, they got somehow mentally depressed. All of these factors, I believe, have played a role in why the numbers have decreased. Lian, how important a role did the youth play in the revolution? You know, the youth were actually in the front lines during the revolution, whether it was on the ground or on social media or, you know, anything related to that event. 
or to those events, basically. The youth, there was this time where university students were actually protesting all together. They used to go gather at each university and just march together towards downtown Beirut. Now, I think the youth were actually playing is now showing at the university elections since the Lebanese American University independent candidates won. And also at the American University of Beirut and also at Rafiq Hariri University. Without the youth, the revolution would have not been as big as it was. And we also saw school students that were ditching their classes to go to the protests. And that is something we have never seen in Lebanon. You know, growing up, we weren't really interested in political work or actually getting involved in politics. But the new generation has proved that it's really different. We've seen all those people who are 15, 16, 17 join the protests. And it was actually amazing. And the role they play is really important because the real change comes from the youth. These are the people who are going to build or rebuild their country. And these are the people who are actually working on change. And we rely on the youth in Lebanon to give us something better or change the reality we're in. Widad, what about the role of young people? It is the youth who ignited this revolution, or at least that's what I believe. Because the youth are one of the most oppressed and they lack the opportunities. For example, we all went to university and we know that graduating from university with whatever degrees we have, I'm studying right now, I'm in my senior year, I'm doing a BS in economics. I know that I'm graduating with no future in this country. I know that I'm not even going to try to apply for jobs in Lebanon because I know that I have zero opportunity to work here or to like live here or to start like to even think of starting a life here or to building on that. So I believe that the role that the youth had in the revolution is a very, very important and very strong role. They were the entire momentum of this movement. If you were following and seeing what was happening on the streets, you would see that, as Lin said, the youth were the frontliners. So when we would protest, we would actually be the frontliners during these protests when the riots started to happen, when they started to shoot us with the bomb, the tear gas bombs, with the uh, rubber bullets. We would be the ones taking all of these things in and fighting back because we were fighting for our future. And I'm speaking now as a member of the youth of Lebanon. If we can move on to the devastating Beirut port explosion of August 4th last year, Lien. What impact do you think this has had on Lebanon? As youth who were born in late 90s, early 2000s, we witnessed a lot of things such as the 2006 Lebanon-Israeli war or the series of explosions during 2011, 12, 2013. However, this was something else. We were just having, as Widat said, a very calm and normal day and suddenly the apocalypse it wasn't like something witnessed before. You know, the hardest part of August 4th is remembering that we had to call our loved ones one by one to make sure they're still alive and they're still okay. And I don't think that anyone has ever has to go through 
something like that. The fear of someone not answering the phone. For example, my mother didn't answer the phone for like two, three minutes. I had 100 thoughts on my mind. What if the car was bombed? What what if the area she's in was bombed? We didn't know what, what was happening. So the first few minutes were, we cannot describe it. It's something that beyond horror. That day, I, I said something to my family that even if we didn't die, even if we weren't really injured, heavily injured actually, because we had a lot of injuries, we all lost something that day. A part of us died when the explosion happened. We don't know how to, to describe it, but I think a lot of Lebanese people can relate to that. The heartache that this explosion gave us is undescribable. You know, it's like someone killed a person you love. Beirut, you know, this area that was affected is an area we, the youth, stay in. There's a lot of pubs, cafes, bars, restaurants. It's somewhere we go to to escape the chaos. It's one of the most peaceful areas. So seeing all of your memories shattered within seconds is something that we cannot describe. And that's aside from the people who were killed, all those young, amazing people who had a bright future waiting for them. But they were killed and they were unjust, you know, they were killed by the government. I think that's the worst part. The fact that this could have been prevented. We only got out of the state of shock and denial by helping others, by going to the affected areas and helping out NGOs and volunteering. Lian, we hear there are 300,000 applications from Lebanon mainly young people wanting to emigrate. What do you think that says about Lebanon? Basically, the youth of Lebanon are running away from the, the reality we live in. We live in a reality where we cannot dream, where we cannot plan anything. We cannot even think about having a decent future. All we have to think of is, well, okay, I'm just going to work, so I won't have to worry about having food on the table, or I won't have to worry about my parents needing some money or my parents being kicked out of their jobs. This is what basically we worry about. Meanwhile, the youth in other countries or all over the world or in more developed countries, they think, okay, in my early 20s, I want to have fun. I want to enjoy time with my friends. And then I'm going to start planning for my career. And they actually have plans. Meanwhile, in Lebanon, we cannot do that. So Lebanese youth are actually heading towards a big immigration wave, especially those ones who actually want to continue and pursue their studies because they think that pursuing a higher degree in some European country or the States or whatever can actually be the only way out. Because at the moment, the world is witnessing a global economic crisis because of COVID-19. So the only way out or the most guaranteed way out is pursuing your studies outside. However, the consequences will obviously be negative, whether it was on the short term or the long term. For example, on the short term, we are currently suffering from the lack of doctors and medical staff in hospitals, especially nurses, because a lot of them have immigrated. Lebanon was famous for having around one doctor for each 100 patients, which is a great number. But now this number will be different because a lot of them are leaving the country for better opportunities. We do not have opportunities in Lebanon. Our opportunities are very limited. And the salaries right now, with the change of the dollar rate, are nothing. 
you cannot do anything with your salary because the minimum wage is basically around 80 to 90 dollars depends on the daily rate so it's nothing you cannot buy a house you cannot build a future you cannot do anything you can't even buy yourself a car a used car just to go back and forth to your job we dad what impact is this brain drain going to have on the country the effects on the economy they they can be really seen and felt very quickly because it's a loss of skilled workers it's a loss of so many i believe the only good thing is that the government no longer gets that many taxes from the citizens because there would be like a less tax revenue from the loss of population. In addition to that, there would be on the long term losses of potential entrepreneurs in the country. There would be a decline in competitiveness. It can lead to a shortage of skilled workers, which is extremely important in, in an economy. It also reduces confidence in the economy. So for example, if anyone ever thought of investing in Lebanon would no longer invest due to that kind of economic crisis. Also on the long term, it would greatly impact the GDP of the country. It would cause it, uh, it would make it decrease in very like uh, apparent levels. And I believe that that is exactly where Lebanon is going with the amounts of people who are applying to, to travel abroad, who are looking for opportunities elsewhere. The only good thing, kind of, it's not a good thing, but it's kind of something that would sustain people in Lebanon is that the Lebanese diaspora is one of the main sources of dollars into the country. If that did not exist, I don't know what kind of economic situation we would be in right now. I think the poverty rates would be much, much higher than that. And with that, are you planning on staying in Lebanon? So whether I'm planning to leave the country or not is actually, it has been a dilemma. There isn't anyone not planning to leave. That's that's a fact. That's a given. But actually taking that step and leaving, I do have the opportunity to leave. I was born and raised in the GCC and I have that opportunity to go back there. But I have been kind of hesitant about whether I should seize that opportunity or not. And that's mainly because I just don't know whether I want to stop what I've been doing. I've been fighting this oppressive system for a while now, and I don't know if it's worth it to just give up right now and just pack everything and just leave. At the same time, I know that in order to like sustain myself mentally and emotionally, to in order to have a stronger fight against this uh, government or system or whatever you want to call it, I have to be somewhere where I would be able to financially sustain myself and I would be able to grow and to gain more experiences and to gain more insights and knowledge. And that is something that I can definitely, like, I can't do in Lebanon. So it's kind of a dilemma right now. I do have the opportunity. I did plan for it, but I don't know if I'm ever going to take that step or not. But I am inclined towards taking it. And Lynn, what about you? I was actually planning on leaving Lebanon by the end of 2021, which is around in a few months. However, I decided that I would be taking a year gap to actually try maybe finding some opportunity in the country. You know, test, as they say, test the waters. I'm just going to try to give this country maybe last chance before actually deciding on leaving because leaving means that I will be leaving my family behind, my friends, everything that I have behind and starting from scratch. And this is not really easy to do, especially as I mentioned before that there is a global economic crisis. So 
I think I'm going to give Lebanon one last chance. And if it doesn't work out, I will be leaving, unfortunately, to pursue my master's somewhere. So, yeah. Of course, there are many young people who don't have the option to leave because they don't have the English or the education. This question reminds me of why we actually started the fight, why we want to change. Because if you're not really privileged enough, you cannot leave. If you do not want to pursue your education, if you do, you do not want to find a good job, you cannot leave. So I feel like we have a social responsibility. We have a social duty to fight for those who do not have any other option. We that might leave for a good job opportunity. I might leave for my masters but those who can't i think we should fight for them even if it's hard it needs a lot of sacrifices but i think we're not only going to be fighting for them we're going to be also fighting for us to have a better country so we can actually come back if we ever leave and maybe raise our kids and raise raise uh, future generations in lebanon because i think lebanese people do deserve better and we deserve a country where we actually have a decent life and nobody has to leave their home. But Lynn, you eventually plan to return? I do. Of course I do. You know, this is our home. This is our country and we deserve to come back. We do not deserve to live abroad all of our life. I think that we deserve somewhere we call home where we actually feel safe. We actually feel that we have our rights. We actually feel that we have a state that can protect us and not fight us. And, you know, I think October 17 was the start of something. You know, change doesn't come this fast. It won't happen within months or just two or three years. No, it will need around 10 years minimum. So I think I'm glad October 17 happened because this will pave the way for a better Lebanon where we can actually stay and have somehow what we call a normal life. So yeah, I I would come back if something happens and changes how our country is. Yeah, I would. So many thanks to you both, Widat Talib and Lin Maymi, on your fascinating take on what's happening in Lebanon. These are certainly difficult times for a beautiful country. Also, I'd like to say thanks to CMAC, the Conservative Middle East Council, for providing this platform for our discussion. I hope to return later this year with further podcasts on Lebanon. So for me, Paula Naufal, it's goodbye.